Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Beth Ann. And this is Chrissy. And today we are here talking about boundaries. So what they are, how do you set them? How does someone respect them? And the peace, hopefully, ideally, that they can possibly bring to your own life and within your home and with your family. Um, We are so lucky and excited to have Priscilla Singleton here with us today. Uh, Priscilla is a licensed social worker and marriage and family therapist. And she is going to help us sort through this whole top, like talk and topic of uh, boundaries and share all of her wisdom with us. So Priscilla, thank you for joining us today to chat. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Priscilla. Thanks, Chrissy. Uh, So I think today's topic is um, really interesting and one that we've touched on in some previous uh, podcasts as we've sort of dealt with this mental emotional health journey and um, talked about sources of stress and anxiety for youth, but also for families. And so Priscilla, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background Mm -hmm. and the work that you do, um, and also a little bit about the Council for Relationships. Sure. And thanks again for having me. So I uh, am a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed marriage and family therapist. And um, what they call in the business a lifer. (laughs) I started out doing this about 35, 40 years ago. And actually, Council for Relationships had a postgraduate training program, which is how I came to know them. So I've been with them throughout my career, uh, doing some other things uh, part time, but uh, primarily with Council for Relationships, which provides counseling uh, in the Philadelphia area. Well, I guess closest to where we are, there is a Paoli office and um, therapists there working with individuals, couples and families. Uh, we also have a postgraduate training program and other interesting um, programs throughout uh, the organization. So if anyone's interested, they can look up and see uh, and you'd be able to see the therapist there that might be available for areas of concern you might have as a family, individual or couple. And I can get a link to that and put it in the show notes so everyone can see all the options and programs and services and things that they all have. Priscilla, I was wondering, um, I know that you've done so much work in the Downingtown community and working with Downingtown families. And if you could just sort of just give us a little bit of overview of what that work has looked like, um, you know, in terms of just some of the topics and some of the things that you've presented and worked within the district and within um, with, with families and with, with students in the in the downtown community. Yeah. So over the years in the downtown community, I've worked with um, a lot of the guidance counselors. I've done workshops for parents. I've done workshops for guidance counselors in schools. Um, I've done some talks at parent groups. Um, and one of the things I find, I think most Um, exciting about Downingtown is just the care of the parents. I've been in churches working with youth groups and working uh, with pastors who have concerns. And it's just always striking to me that parents really want to know how I can be available differently, how I can be someone that my child wants to come to. Um, And so it's just been over the years, really having that uh, has been quite a, an honor and a privilege. 
Thank you. And I was just wondering also kind of just a, another little follow up to that. Um, have you have you noticed? Um, and I was thinking about this because I had a conversation with um, with, a, with a school counselor in the last couple of weeks and we were chatting about uh, the demand and how the challenges um, have been. And that sometimes perhaps you know, in a school building or a school district, um, folks try to try to do a whole lot, like really try to take on a lot and own a lot and carry a lot within that building or within that district. And I was just wondering, like, just sort of your perspective on the need to um, to be able to rely on and to trust and to work with community groups or professionals such as yourself because the problems are so complex and challenging and just really difficult to handle mm-hmm. um, from one person being sort of tagged as it yeah. to address some of these issues. Yeah, and I think that we're seeing that with all professionals who have interfaced with children, uh, adults, uh, adolescents, that uh, there's just so much need. And when we talk about boundaries, boundaries within the professional, too, in terms of how much they're Mm -hmm. able to do. And, um, you know, I know as a a person who uh, sees individuals, couples and families, when I get that call and I know I just can't see that person, I really feel a sense of responsibility to find that person who is available. And then in a school, you know, it's surrounded by folks who care about children. And if there's a need, whether the resources there or not, there's this push to want to provide it. And and you go to parents and families and, and churches. I mean, we're just seeing it everywhere. And I think that um, that's why I think discussions like this are so helpful and valuable because sometimes maybe they can hear a podcast and get some ideas and support, but we all need support. And I think that's the number one thing I want to say, yes. even yes. though we're in the helping profession or an uh, educator or an administrator in a school, you yes. need support too. And I think that what we're finding is if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be right. able to take care of the folks that are coming to us. Exactly. That's a great point. All right, Christy, I promise I won't take any more questions. No. I was just sort of adding Those on there because we're really so sitting on yeah. some really timely things and mm-hmm. boundaries are part of that, but it's also part of this bigger mental health conversation and, and just the struggle um, yeah. with folks trying to, to do this alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. I guess an, another thought just, you know, Uh, I think it's so hard for families today because of social media and early access to so much information. Talk about boundaries. You know, I laugh because back in the day, there was like one phone downstairs, you know, when I was growing up and children did not pick up the phone. A parent did. And if I was, can I talk to Priscilla? Could you tell me who's calling please? Right. And if they didn't know the person, you know, we did not get the call. And and there was this way of really protecting and setting a very firm boundary. Parents are really in a much harder spot today because there are ways that your boundaries are constantly being crossed because of, of social media. And you know? that's something, too, when we were prepping for this, too, Priscilla, you and I talked about just like how... And I know we'll get to this as, as we start to talk about, you know, what this, you know, as this term boundaries has been kind of everywhere. I see it a lot in, in social media, in like parenting things and mental health and stuff that I follow. Um, but it is a unique thing where a lot of the time Bethann and I talk about how, 
you know, and that's sort of our dynamic is I'm in it right now with two little kids. You know, my kids are in fourth grade and kindergarten and Bethany Ann has two adult kids. So she's on the other end of it. So she, and one of the things she always says is, you know, I'm really happy a lot of technology did not exist when my kids were little. And I think that's the thing of why we're talking about boundaries and why this is a word and a term that we're seeing everywhere is because we're seeing how it links up to health, wellness, positive mental health, making healthy choices um, that you maybe we didn't have to focus on having these skills so much in the past. And especially as a parent where, you know, when you left work, you left work and there was no computer at home for you to log on to, to do work. It was like you left and then you're home and now you're home and you do all the things that fall into the home bucket and the kid bucket. So you don't have to internalize and be individually personally responsible to say, okay, I'm going to turn my phone off and silence it and put it over here. I have to put up an away message to know people I'm not available. I have to, you know, make it so that people know I'm not being mean or ignoring them with family members if I don't text them back immediately. So it really is a skill that you know, looking back, I know that I was never taught in at a, ever as a child, you know, and now as an adult that, you know, goes to therapy on my own and something that I've had to really work on is figuring out, okay, what is a boundary? What is a rule? Which I know we're going to talk about, um, but also, you know, what, how, why is it such an important thing to be able to set and also respect boundaries in life? And so, and I guess that kind of could kind of sort of kick us off of what we're going to talk about is, you know, can you explain what it means? Like what a boundary is and what it means to set a boundary? So it's interesting, and I don't know other definitions, but when I think about a boundary, I think about a self-awareness, understanding myself and what feels comfortable to me and what doesn't feel comfortable to me. So there's this way of sort of wanting to see, is that okay with me or isn't it? And um, as you said, sometimes we're not raised to think about, can I respond to that if I'm being asked maybe by an authority figure to do X or to do Y, a boss, a teacher, you know, an adult in my neighborhood, do I have the right to say that doesn't feel right to me, right? Um, Something isn't good about that. And so I think it's this self-awareness about what is comfortable for me, Mm. right? As opposed to what are these sort of just arbitrary rules, you know? Um, And I think that that is that sense of awareness that then becomes sort of a way of them wanting to listen whether to a friend or to another person when they're trying to tell us sort of what is enough what is too much what's comfortable what isn't so boundary has to do with a relational space i think and that how we then reciprocally and that means parent to child child to parent right listening you know, when they're telling us, I'm scared, I don't want to take that swim lesson, it's too much. Mm. How do we hear that and work with that? Uh, and then in the reverse, showing children through our modeling, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, you need to think twice before you take something before asking. And I really want you to think about how that might have been for Sam when you grab that toy out of his hand. So it's that relational place rather than the rules that say no running, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but maybe we can flip our order of questions, Bethann. I don't know. Um, But like, so thinking about 
how are boundaries different, even in the, the examples that you gave? So how are boundaries different from rules? Yeah. And so what I'm saying is that I think that the younger the child, the more rule driven you're probably going to be because there just needs to be hard stops, you know. Um, And so a rule is something that's not very negotiable, right? It's a hard line. It's a non-negotiable. Here it is. And it doesn't, when a child's young, have a lot of explanation with it, right? Uh, As they get older, then we begin to talk about why that rule is also probably a boundary, for safety or a boundary for a learning. Um, And so to me, one is a little more arbitrary, the rules, but necessary. uh, And boundaries sort of become this interactive, this dynamic between in a relationship. Does that make sense? Can you give yeah. an example? Or Beth Ann, go ahead. Well, I think it does because in my mind, when I think about the difference between a boundary and a rule, rules to me seem, because, you know, we always talk about being on the ship of right and following rules. Like, I think some rules are easier. So it's sort of non-negotiable. So uh, you don't ride your bike without your helmet. You know, you don't get in the car without a seatbelt. Um, you know, you have to hold my hand across the street, you know, depending on age. So a lot of those things are not negotiable. Uh, they should. They don't seem hard or difficult emotionally because it's a safety kind of a rule. So we follow them. Where I think it gets sort of murky with boundaries is there's this, as, as Priscilla, you said perfectly, this, this relational thing. And now it starts to bring in more of vulnerability or fear or um, am I going to hurt someone's feelings or are they not going to like me? Or am I going to disappoint them? And then it gets to me gray and sort of really muddy. And, and it's not as clear cut anymore as a simple, put that helmet on Mm -hmm. or you're not getting on the bike. And I, that's what I, that's where I sort of struggle then with the rule. I got the rules, but now the boundaries growing into that Mm -hmm. and knowing that there are some real benefits to learning boundaries as a child through adolescence, through young adulthood to adulthood when the boundaries even get way more emotional and sort of connected to your affect and who you are. So, so I don't know. So I have to find a question in there. So I guess, um, so my question would first of all be, maybe I could go back to this idea. What are the benefits of learning about boundaries as a child and then carrying them through adulthood. So maybe I'll start there, kind of ask you some benefits to being able to set, clarify, and stay true to your authentic boundaries. And the first word that comes up to me is like the self-esteem of an individual that will build by being able to identify like who I am, where I stand, what I think, what I feel, and to be able to A, state it, and B, find it respected. Right. So it's both. And so it helps sort of put us in a place, you know, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our classroom, with our cousins, like wherever that is, it it helps us to really get clear about what's important to me, what's okay for me. What am I not comfortable with? What, what's hurtful? uh, What do I not want to participate in? And that might just be conversation, you know, unkind conversation, uh, bullying behavior. Um, And so by being able to have that open communication so a child maybe can come home and say, something happened in the classroom today. I didn't say anything, but I feel really terrible about it. 
And then to be able to say, tell me about that, you know, Mm -hmm. not begin to say what they should, shouldn't have done. And there's a rule about that. You're not to be a bystander. No. What was that like? Because I want them to identify and become familiar with that part of them that said, I didn't like this. I'm not quite even sure why, but it didn't feel right. And then begin to have that exploration. And I think it builds a sense of who we are, our identity, and then our esteem can fall forward from that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so they, it so it really is um, the idea of boundaries. That self-esteem piece is really, um, and I know some people kind of still feel like, oh, the whole self-esteem thing, a little bit woo-woo. But at the end of the day, that really is a foundation for being able to set boundaries because you have to be confident enough um, in that and be okay with maybe somebody, they may not like you because you decided not to go along with this. Right. Right. Or you're not going to be a people pleaser because you want them to be happy. But meanwhile, internally, you know, in your gut that shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said that. So I, I really think that you can't really talk about boundaries. And I think that's a big point. You can't really talk about boundaries if you don't talk about self-esteem and knowing who you are mm-hmm. and knowing you're being, you're, I think the conflict a lot of times is when, when as a, as a kid and then growing up, if you don't really know your values, and your values should drive your behavior. I think anytime you have this set of values that you think you hold true, but there's a disconnect between that and what you actually say or do is when that internal conflict then is real yeah. hard yeah. for us. Sometimes too, not wanting to disappoint, not wanting to hurt someone, thinking maybe it's not right. I'm thinking of a, a young woman in a new job where there's just a lot of expectation of how you mentioned the computer being on, it's a new job. And, and am I allowed to say, or am I allowed to turn off this? You know, can I do that? What are they expecting from me and figuring out as a first time working, you know, is it okay to say that I can have a hard line at seven and that I will respond in the morning? What are those expectations? Um, and so I think what we figure out young can maybe help influence and help us inform where our boundaries will be in a work world, um, too. Yeah, it's because it, that is a good point, too, because it, it does go into all realms. So it's not just, you know, I mean, obviously our focus here is parents. Right. And mm-hmm. kids. Um but it really goes for even as just people listening and even as us sitting here chatting about this, it's thinking of like, okay, how do I set boundaries with my family members? How do I set boundaries about how I want to create work-life balance? Um, And I don't know, there's a piece of it too. Would you say a big piece of this because it goes back to thinking about how you feel about things? And maybe we'll get to this when we talk about how to teach this to our kids, but it's like, is there a piece of it that has to do with you have to stop and like really take your time to consider it sometimes? Like you have to identify your emotion of like, well, do I really want to do that thing or no? Because I find that like, that's something that I have to work on is my initial response to everything is to always say yes, always. And I'm trying to undo that and instead like stop and pause and be like, well, do I want to do that thing or not? And, but I feel like that had to be like an new learning, unlearning type of thing. And, and just, I guess it goes back to what you're saying about values and things, but there's an emotional piece to this too, I guess. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that that sense of urgency too, I'm going to say, I think in the, in the age of the internet and how quickly people are putting requests out and expecting responses back. And you had said earlier, Chrissy, you know, if it don't get right back to me, is that seen as something, um, but this moment of taking pause, gee, I'm not sure what I think about that. I will get back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, why not? You know, I'm not sure, but let me get back to you. I encourage parents too. When you have children who are growing into new developmental phases, they're going to come to you with a request they never came before. Don't expect that you're going to know right in the drop of a hat what you think about it. Uh-huh. Just say, you know what? Let me think about that. And maybe we can talk about that again tomorrow. Um, and they're urgent. All of you who've been raising children, they're very urgent. They need to know now, right? Everything. You know, but, the, but the, it's okay to slow it down. And it teaches them that I can slow down too. I was going to ask, do you see, because you've been in practice for so long, have you seen a shift? Can you just talk about that? If you have seen a shift in just this sense of urgency and lack of patience and stuff, is that, is that a thing? Like, have you seen this over your career? Yeah, I really do. I really think that everyone is feeling pressured to know what to say, to say it well, but to say it quickly. Mm. And that if you're not responding, people are getting back to you as if there's something wrong. Right. And I, I just, I just hesitate here, but that, that reactive world, I don't know, always does us much good that I don't know how many times people have said, I can't believe I didn't think I just quickly tweeted back or I, posted something and now it's out there and, you know, and just really all of that. And I'm talking adults, you know, I'm not just talking our young people. Um, and so I do think that that's created this sort of pressure, I'm going to say, to sort of react. But these things are, take time to be thoughtful, right? We're missing out. Am I really listening? Am I really hearing what that message is? If people are just that quickly getting back to one another, we're not really thinking through what do I think about this? How do I feel? Do I even want to respond? <laughs> you know, there is such a thing as no response, you know, but I, I feel like people feel like they've got to be right on it. Right. So, so I do think, and it's created, like I'm feeling anxious to saying that, right. Uh, I I'm waiting for something to come back in an email, but I, it was about quarter of one. And I said to myself, you can't do anything about it when that comes back. Why even open the email, Priscilla? You know, that urgency, like, I need to know, like, mm-hmm. what's the response? I'm like, no, I don't. I want to be very, very present today as we're talking together. So I had to make a choice there because that, you know, ding was there. The email's in. Um, but I don't have to open that. I don't have time to, to really give it the thought I want to give it. Oh my gosh, Priscilla, are you in the car with me driving? That is like me, like all of the time going through my to-do list as I'm driving. And I'm like, oh, I have to make sure that I do this, this, and this, and da, 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 da. And like, I want to even, and I really, you know, just want to like tap out a quick text at a red light or pull over and do something really quick. And I have to tell myself like, Chrissy, stop. All of it's going to be waiting for you. It's all sitting there. Like, just focus on what you're doing right now. Like drive, get home, single task. Be present in the moment. Just do one thing at a time. Like, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird time. It's a weird time. It is. We do that in the morning. Chrissy and I run in the morning, but we we each run in our own neighborhoods with our AirPods in. Mm -hmm. And it won't, it's quite frequently during that morning run where I'll stop and say, oh, wait, well, let let me look at my, let me look at my phone. Let me get, and she's like, can you just run and not? 
stop I and say send that. an email while we're running. <laughs> well, that's true, right? Because we'll, you know, we'll inevitably brainstorm. Or, oh, that was a really great idea. Or that's exactly what I need to say. Okay, wait, I'm going to stop now. And I'm, I'll stop running or she'll stop running uh-huh. to do the task. I was like, mm-hmm. we need some, this is running time. As we're this multitasking not, of running and chatting at the same time. But <laughs> not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, I I think too, it's a lot of societal things that exist that have created this environment, right? So it's, it's to nobody's fault, right? It's just, again, how do you take it on as an individual for yourself to say, well, I'll just keep on keeping on this way, or do I feel like it would benefit me to make a change? And to show but things. even that boundary about if you really are driving home or you really are going to be engaged in something in, in 10 minutes, you know, how do we really train ourselves to say that information will do me no good except worry me, right? It's going to be something that I got to think about. I got to get back to and how distracted will you be from whatever the next thing is you're supposed to go into? I don't have my phone in here. If you see um, it's in the other room uh-huh. and everything's off. And I, that's what I do when I'm here working, I'm here working. So I visually try to put a boundary on things. If there's something oh. urgent, somebody's struggling, I'll get up and walk over and make sure that the crisis is there but the other things are just they're going to wait I'm going to put the phone back down again I think a lot of times folks open up all of that information they look at the text they look at the email and they can't respond to it and with my young clinicians too I say you know what when you're ready to sit down to answer your emails or return the phone calls unless there's if there's not an emergency then that's when you open it up because all that does is keep you very anxious or have you, you we've all gotten that email that went out very quickly right we've all received it and yes we probably all sent them too and True. you know it wasn't necessary mm-hmm. so, anyway. that's really it's good. a lot it's a lot and god do you have something well i was thinking about the examples that we've been sharing here about boundaries and There are those boundaries then that are most definitely sort of the work-life boundaries that parents, that, you know, parents are are working on. And, and, and as I, as Chrissy said earlier in the podcast, it's something I'm really grateful for. I had a hard enough time, you know, having a work-life balance without social media and cell phones and laptops in my home, you know, 20 some years ago. Uh, So today to me, it's unimaginable to be able to do that. That's almost a conscious decision and a physical thing that you do. Like, like Priscilla said, the phone's in the other room. Laptop is not going to be open or whatever it might be. So I feel like there's that bucket of boundaries. And then I think there's the bucket of boundaries for parents on this is how our family operates. And it looks different than the family next door. And Chrissy and I have talked a lot about this because that's just a historical, to me, that yeah. That's just throughout time. Yep. That's where you circle the wagons. That's where you decide as a family, we believe this, we value this. This is what this is going to look like in our home. And yes, I know next door gets to do X, Y, and Z, and they're doing this, they're doing that, and they're all of this. Or, we're no, we're not going to put our child in every sporting event and every enrichment program and every after-school activity, and we're not going to do travel, every sport that's a travel sport. Then I feel like there's those which... Again, I'm always looking at this as like a hierarchy of how difficult this is. Mm. Leaving my phone in the other room is a challenge, but okay, I'm not I'm not making anybody terribly angry. But now I have children mm. and I'm saying, no, we're not going to do all those sports. No, no, we're not going to be out every night of the week. 
And see, now I think those are the family conversations of boundaries, which if you could kind of just speak to that challenge, because mm-hmm. I try, I did that as a parent now of kids in their late twenties. And even then it was hard. Mm-hmm. And you had this little piece of you that felt like, Oh geez, if we don't do that, are you gonna am I am I gonna deny you some incredible life experience? Mm. Am I gonna keep you from being this like world renowned whatever? Or are you gonna be too late to do this because we didn't play soccer at the age of two? Mm-hmm. So now I found those boundary conversations trickier mm-hmm. and more questioning. And I was starting to doubt myself mm-hmm. as a parent. Like I wanted to hold to it, but I was also sometimes it was hard to stay on that treadmill or get off of it. So I mean, I want to say it's both, right? It's intrinsically knowing what your family values are, what you really believe, but still being able to be open. So maybe if the neighbors next door are doing some things that you just had a hard no on, at least consider it. Listen, is that, is there any place for that? Might that be something that's appropriate when they're 12? Um, or, you know, so letting them know that you're listening, you know, mm-hmm. but still coming back to that sort of sense we have internally, what is okay for me in my family. I also say as parents, we have to understand why, right? And this is hard, but you know, why is that a hard no, right? So our own family of origin, is it fear? Are there other things that are keeping us from allowing certain things that maybe aren't from that safety perspective, but yeah else operating so i just think as parents you know it's really important that we understand who we are too and be willing to just stretch a little and think not to be influenced but to really say to myself that just fear like why is that not okay right so beginning to look at why we come up what we come up just again listening being open that's a good point on all ends and even beth ann as you were saying that like the because that is, it's it's when your kids especially become school age, they now leave the nest and those little baby birds are flying around with the influence of all the other baby birds and all the things that are happening in all those other nests. And they all come back and they tell you all about it. And that's where it, it mm-hmm. it's exhausting. <laughs> it's, it's well, exhausting. It, it's exhausting yeah. because, you know, as you were saying, Bethann, this fear, am I harming? Am I damaging? Am I not allowing? You know, yeah. we rise up to such great expectations as parents. And to really be able to take that breath because the child's greatest resource is communication with parents in that family. And even when we don't agree, learning to disagree respectfully, learning to have, we can walk away and say, look, we may not see this in the same way, but I respect, make sure we're hearing the child out because too many times through our fear, no, we shut it down, but hear them out, let them make their case, you know? And then for me, working with adolescents, I say, hey, if you're trying to ask your parents about a privilege that's not currently on the docket, make sure you're being respectful, that you're listening and, and having that good communication. Because if you run in demanding and angry and, you know, they're shutting down any possibility. (laughs) It's a two-way street. And if you're going to make your case, you need to do it by looking into it, by getting the information and being respectful and listening. That's a great point. Yeah. That's the importance of communication. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know we want to talk about how boundaries tie into 
drug and alcohol prevention, risk taking, uh-huh. preventing risk take, risky behaviors, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. And also because it does all link back. So we talked a little bit about self-esteem, but it is. And that's why we're having this conversation, because it does link back to this prevention piece, this mental health piece. Um, and also, Priscilla, if you can teach us how to set these boundaries and teach our kids how to do that. Um, Let's take a quick break and we'll do that right after the break. If you're enjoying our podcast, an easy way to support parent to parent is by sharing it with a friend. You can send it to them in a text from your phone or even better post an episode you liked on social media. Maybe it's this one. Our goal is to increase education and awareness among parents. And as we always say, you don't know what you don't know. And some people may not know we are out there. Any shout outs and sharing is appreciated. Thanks. And let's get back to our conversation. Coming back from our break, let's talk a little bit about continue the boundary conversation, but how do they change so that as our kids grow from, you know, early elementary years, little kids up to teens and a lot of the folks who listen to us, you know, will be dealing with um, adolescents, young adults. How do they change and how do they maybe look different? in the growth of time. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing that occurs to me is that the younger the child, the more similar boundaries are going to be, you know, that you're going to look around and, you know, you're not allowed on your bike without a helmet. You're not allowed in the street without a parent. You're not. So you're going to see a lot more uh, commonality and it's not quite as hard because the world's kind of sending the same message. Mm. But I think as you get into uh, later elementary school now, not just middle school, but later elementary school, middle school, high school, that there, there are nuances to everything now. There's all kinds of choices and changes, and there's a lot of information coming in and, and lots of information coming quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there isn't sort of a standard operating procedure, if you will, we're nuanced. And in that nuance, then helping our young people really be able to discern internally what's feeling okay for me, what's not feeling okay for me. Um, I know they're all wanting to do fill in the blank over here, but Uh my parent isn't home tonight. And there's just something about that that I'm not comfortable with. But that person I really wanted to get to know is going to be at that party, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. just really helping them try. And so I think it becomes more nuanced and, and it's not so standard anymore. Um, so we can't keep our children from all these things that are out there. You can try, but now with social media and that it's coming in. Mm-hmm. So I want them to be able to sit with a, with a parent that cares about them and to have them be able to talk. I heard this today. I saw this. I'm curious about this. I think I want to do this. And without our fear jumping in the way to really begin to talk through it um, with them. So for me, it's that more options become available from the outside world and varying ways of discerning change. And so how do we keep that dialogue going? So they're coming to us with these things. And how do they feel about it? Well, it's kind of exciting. I think I want to do it. But then this other part of me, you know, so helping them figure that out together with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. And would you say kind of, especially with kids that are in middle school, high school, and I want to touch upon like, really like, what do you say? How do you teach these skills and teach kids what to, t- to say to express their, you know, values, boundaries, wants, 
desires, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Would you say that ha- being able to have this skill, the way it ties back into having positive mental health and why we're talking about it here on a prevention podcast for parents would be because if your kid is able to effectively express their boundaries, they're probably going to be a lot more likely to be able to say more often and more convincingly, more steadily, like, no, I'm good. I don't need to vape today. No, I'm good. I don't need a beer. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, this is where I want to stop with sexual activities or whatever it is. Like, it, this is really how this skill and being able to do this then later informs those things. Does that make sense? It does. And so here's where these other things kind of cross over. So we become very much aware of our peers and mm-hmm. being liked by them and what they think about us. You know, little ones will say, I don't care if you don't like me. You know, they can walk away from that in a different way. Whereas an adolescent, I, oh, he looked disappointed, you know, uh, he says, I must not love him then, you know, and just so, so we're more tuned in to sort of disappointing other people. So I think we have to prepare our young people that sometimes when you set the boundary, someone's going to either feel hurt by that. They're going to read that in a way that's different than you mean it, but your boundary is still your boundary. You know, when it comes to sexual activity, so many of the young people that I talk to and more the females, they're very, focused on what's being asked as opposed to what's comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they just sort of go along. So it's okay, I guess, you know, but they don't ever stop to think like, what is okay with me at this stage in my life in a relationship, what's going to be okay with me. It's really influenced externally. And we really want them to, you know, and I ask them, so well, have you thought about if you start to date, what's going to be okay for you? Well, no, I mean, these are good conversations to be able to have with our kids, you know, and help them be able to discern that. Um, Because so many times it's just to be pleasing the other person. Um, And so I feel like, and and say, you know, so what's that going to be like when your friend looks disappointed? When you say you don't want to go to that party because you heard the parents not home, how are you going to handle that? You know, that might be hard. Let's talk about that. So we don't want to pretend like, well, you set your boundary and it's a great thing. You know, it is, but there may be social consequence to that. There may be just feeling like I hurt their feelings. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I think that to me is the key. I think that the shift and being able to, as you said, Priscilla, start those conversations early, start them when kids are, are younger and stay with it because it's not as clear cut. It is muddier. The nuances are going to be there. And then I just feel like, it's just so, and that's why we get to adulthood and we're like, well, yeah, I am sort of the doormat. Yeah, I am the people pleaser. Yeah, I am the pushover. Yeah, I've said and done things that whatever. Um, because we didn't have those lessons, those chances to talk. And as Chrissy mentioned, even though I'm significantly older than Chrissy, uh, you know, my family certainly we, there were these not these conversations about boundaries. Uh, and Chrissy's saying, I didn't grow up with conversations about boundaries nope. i bet most of our friends if i were to you know survey all of my friends in their you know 40s 50s and 60s would be like no yeah. right so this is kind of a newer conversation yeah and i think that if you talk with folks my age and older they all have situations they know that their boundaries oh. Not in, you know, they knew, but absolutely there were golden rules where you respect your elders, you do this, you do that. And so that there was this and you're kind and you 
always let people ahead of you. And you, you know, so the golden rules surround this kind of stepping back and allowing people to go forward. So we feel like we're operating outside of something or I'm selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All about me, you know? And so, so it's practicing it when they're little, when the consequences aren't as great. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect. Play that out a little bit to say, Oh, your friend looked really disappointed when you told them you were going to go home now. Um, because it was time and they really wanted to play jump rope some more. So how, how yeah. could you say to your friend about that? I know you feel sad, but you really need to go home. You know, so we practice it when it's not so consequential. It just feels, and, and we're all sitting here thinking of the last time someone violated my boundary and I really wanted to say no, and I didn't know how, and I had to yep. sleep on that email. I had to sleep on that email and it kept me up. I'm like, I got to say no to this person and how am I going to do this? Um, and yes. Is, are there all some, the above? And are there some people who are just, you know, it's hard. Why is it harder for some people to set boundaries than others? Is there something so, with that? There's all kinds of things, right? So I think temperament, we cannot forget about temperament. You have children and you know, kids come to us with certain temperaments. And some kids are just like, seated in their sense of self and they can say, this is what I think and how I feel. And I don't have to be mean about it. Cause I, you know, and you have that temperament sometimes, right. And then you have the more cautious child that will be looking for the cues in the environment. So that we've got some temperament, but then we have our family experiences, you know, whether it was trauma-based or just a, a difficult situation. And so we learn to protect ourselves by behaving in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's hard to know, yes what's at play, but I tell everybody, by the time, you know, you're 10 or 12, some things have probably happened in your life. They don't have to be huge traumas that have begun to affect how I might respond and maybe not listen to myself as much as I want to. So I think it's a combination of things. Uh, but yeah, but temperament's a fascinating thing to me. It is. You have some children that uh, come to me and their stories, they've got trauma and, really difficult things and then they're sitting there in front of you resilient as all get out and just you know they're they're gonna have their fragile spaces don't get me wrong but you can just see there's this a sense of self and i think temperament is a piece of that and then in addition to that how do the adults around them help teach yeah well i I, this is a question that's not on the paper but it just came to my mind priscilla with what you just said how do you teach it so if i'm a parent who um, sort of falls into this category of, yeah, I can think of multiple times when I didn't set boundaries and wish I had and all of that. How does a non-confident boundary setting parent Mm. do the work of modeling and helping their kids when we were not terribly good at it ourselves? Can we do that? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, Number one, a parent recognizing that about themselves and to begin practicing it, right? To begin practicing it. And I always tell people, set the boundary with the person who doesn't matter as much. Maybe someone got in front of you in a line because they were in a hurry and you'll never see that person again. You can say, excuse me, but I I was in line first or the line. I love the one where the line like starts over here. We've all been waiting and they just walk right up, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. But so, so practicing setting those boundaries and then scaffolding up to the more important people in your life and overbearing extended family member. And, you know, don't start there, Mm. get some (laughs) practice, you know, where you can practice because people aren't going to like when we hold our boundary. Mm-hmm. 
And so does that make sense? So yes. you begin oh, yeah. it and then sharing that with the child, not the family stuff if they're young, but to just say, you know, today I had one of those funny feelings where I watched somebody take a parking space when somebody else was just ready to pull into it. And um, what did you do? What did you do? Well, I didn't confront the person who took it, but I said to the person, like, I saw that. That was that wasn't right. You know, I hope you find a space, you know, or I think I saw one over here. You know, it was just, it just so we show them examples of ways, you know. Yeah. And what would you say? So we, you know, thinking of like, OK, this is how we teach kids to set boundaries for themselves. But Bethann, you had, had said earlier um, what do you do if your your child is the one that's the pusher or your child is the one that's the one that's pushing against other people's boundaries? So like, you know, they might have a friend that said, I can't come out and play anymore or whatever it is. And then your kid still somehow always ends up over there knocking on the door like they're not. How do you manage that and teach the opposite of it, I guess? Because it goes oh, both good. ways. Yeah, I think the first thing, I mean, my sense is a child who keeps pushing for what they want. My guess is there's some anxiety there. Like if this doesn't happen, there's a belief that something terrible is going to happen or I just have to have what I want when I want it or I feel really upset inside. So trying to say to them without shame, right, to say, you know, Sarah was trying to tell you she really did not want to come out and then. I went upstairs when I came down your on her door again, you know, I know you really wanted to play with her, but can you tell me what was hard about just taking that? No, what made that hard for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted, you know, I might be a sass answer. But I want to do it. So I, you know, I get that, but underneath that, I want to do it. Like, did it feel, you feel sad that you don't want to play with you? Did you try to get to the vulnerable emotion? Because usually there's a vulnerable one. I was afraid I, I felt like maybe she doesn't like me anymore. I want to make sure she's still my good friend. You know, so trying to get that strong push and get underneath that, because that's typically fear is behind a lot of our aggressive behavior. I, that, that's not aggressive. I'm going to, you know, that's just, but it can grow into that aggressive behavior where there's anxiety underneath it. If we can get people to get to that primary emotion and deal with that, which is more vulnerable, say, okay, so how else can you tell Sarah how important that relationship is? And maybe we can send her uh, a message that maybe on Saturday she would come and play because you would really like to be her friend. Yeah. Does that make sense? So kind of working it through that way. Mm -hmm. Because that was really it because, uh, yeah, because there's two sides to this boundary conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's me, myself, Mm -hmm. and what my boundaries are, whatever the situation, whether it's drugs, alcohol, you know, sexual relationship or just, you know, going out somewhere. Uh, but then I also think there's somebody else's, there's another person mm-hmm. in this boundary setting conversation mm-hmm. and they may, you know, I don't, am I going to be the other person that's pushing or, right. you know, trying to change your mind or coming up with all the, you know, like just back off. Mm-hmm. Well, if we do it this way, you know, sort of manipulative, right? I guess manipulating it so that eventually I'll hear it differently and be like, yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, okay, sure, here. So I think kids have to know their own, but they also have to recognize if they're the right boundary pusher right. or the boundary, I don't know, maybe not the boundary pusher, but. Yeah. But that's right. And I think that. But sometimes, too, as we're teaching this, they may be pushing our boundaries, too, uh, right? Yes. They might just be insisting and insisting. And for you to begin yes. to say, you know what? I want you to just take a minute. Like, right now, as your mom, I I feel about this big. I feel like you haven't seen me. My feelings feel hurt. 
I feel like you're really not seeing mom. And I'm trying to tell you something here. And that it hurts my feelings. So, so going kind of there, um, but you can't do that for every time because sometimes you're like, well, hurry, it's bedtime. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to, this conversation's over. Yes. And there are teachable moments. So I know that's trite, but it's true. There was times where we can find that moment where we can interact as you know, that human condition. Right. And that's what I was going to say is like, it's, it, it can't be like constant processing, constant all of the time. We talked about this in our last episode with Dr. That was our last conversation. Like sometimes it's too much talk. Yeah. Like I am not going to enter into a 30 minute dialogue about whatever X is here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, and I, and you can say, and we can return to this and we can talk more about it, but for right now it's nine 30 and you've got to be up on that bus in the morning and we need to get back upstairs and we'll talk more about it another time, but mm-hmm. um, it's over for now. Mm-hmm. And you get to do that as a parent. That's a boundary. That's a boundary. Are, yeah. you, are you in my house, Priscilla? Have you been spying on me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but just to say the number of times we all know this story is so we share it. We share it. There's oh my, common ground. Here. I just feel it. like this is all I do all day long. Like truly, it's just this constant like and not everything is really hard, but there's a lot of it. There's a lot of negotiating and I don't know why. And I don't know how to get out of this constant push pull mm-hmm. negotiation dynamic when I feel like I'm being very like set and mm-hmm. it, that somehow comes out like of my Charlie Brown parent mouth language as well, you can always come back for your better offer, a better deal or pushing a little more like, and I don't know why. And I just, that's, I don't know. It's just a weird, like it's as a, as a thinking of like with these boundaries between a parent and a child, like that's my experience currently. And I don't know if it's just the ages of my kids or just, I don't know. I don't know. But that need and desire to negotiate is really to feel better inside because the nose making them back to that kind of point, you know, the nose making them feel anxious or left oh. out, they're not going to be liked. And, and so the energy is around that. So we can get underneath that to say, I know how important this is. So I don't want to stop the conversation forever, but for tonight or for this morning or for whatever, you know, we'll come back. Cause I know you're really upset about this. Mm-hmm. So it's noted and that matters to me, mm-hmm. but we will talk. Cause what's hard for kids when you, when you say no, they say, you don't care what I think, uh-huh. you know, they get confused. You know, if I, if you don't, if you don't agree that you didn't hear a word I said, and that is like so hard. And that's part of that concrete brain, you know, especially that 10, 11 year old, it's still pretty concrete. And so if you really heard me, you would let me stay up to 11 o'clock and you really heard me. And so we have to start to distinguish that there are times I'm going to hear everything you have to say. And I still may have a boundary that it's no, but it's going to feel like I'm not even listening. But I can say back to you all the things that make this important to you, because I think that's the hard one. That brain is pretty concrete uh, at certain stages. (laughs) I got oh, some concrete brains, point. concrete brains yeah. happening over here. Uh-huh. Yep. Concrete brain syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great one. That's awesome point. Uh-huh. When you're a parent mm-hmm. in the very, very beginning, right? Newborn. Okay. Right. You have all these ideas. Like I'm not going to do this. Like my mother or father did. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be this kind of parent. I'm going to be that kind of parent. Okay. Right. 
And you sort of get launched into this. You get on this path and maybe things are different. Maybe they're not because it's you're bringing your own family history, experience, trauma along the road for the for the ride. And let's say you're in this cycle that Chrissy's describing with parents like boundary setting, boundary pushing, boundary negotiating, um, wanting your kids to maybe set stronger boundaries than you did so they don't repeat your personal mistakes. Is there a way to fix the cycle or fix the pet once you're on it? Like sometimes I feel like the train, the, the horse left the barn, the train's out of the station and holy crap, at what way do we stop this? Cause I know where it's, it's mm. not the way I envisioned it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. That's a great Can question. you do that? Cause sometimes I feel like you can't. Yeah, I do. I think you can. I think at any stage in any relationship, we can make a change because it's a systemic dynamic and if you make a change the system has to change so it's more getting clear about where i can try and set those boundaries but being gentle with yourself don't go to the top most difficult one Mm -hmm. have grace and say to yourself this has been hard i didn't get here because this is how i want to function i'm here for a lot of good reasons but i can change this you know my oldest person that i see she's 90 90 she's 90 and we talk about this her children are quite old and um we talk about it and she's lovely and she's you know making her statements and um so it's never too late i want to say that and and all relationships are systemic so if i decide that i make a change that other person's gonna have to accommodate it because Mm. if i hold fast to the change Mm. so yes unequivocally Mm -hmm. good good (laughs) news good note to end my questioning on because i yeah so i'm not we're not doomed yeah. In, no. the, in the land of boundary setting or, okay. And, no. and I think that, that especially in family systems, whether it's between a parent and their own kids or you as a person in a parent child relationship or siblings or friend groups or things, if there's a certain dynamic that's been historically in place and then you're like, well, I learned how to set boundaries and I'm going to do it. Once you do set a boundary for the first time and you like hold to it, it feels real good, but it also causes the other people who, with whoever you're setting that boundary to be like, well, wait, what? Like they're off yeah. kilter a little bit because you're breaking that pattern, that cycle. So usually if you're in a, in a variety of different things, though, usually it's like once you set a boundary, other people might not know what to do with it because it's very different than how it's been. Yeah. And that's what I said that folks, you know, when we start to make changes, People aren't going to be happy. We've got to be prepared for that. And they may initially push even harder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You have to be prepared for that. So it, it's like, and some relationships might change yeah. and that's real. Yep. Totally. And I think that's the message too, that we have to tell ourselves, but also our kids is that we don't own other people's emotions, other people's feelings are not our responsibility. Like someone may be upset because we said no to go to the party or whatever the thing is. And that's okay. They can be upset, but that's not our responsibility because we had to do whatever it was we had to do. Correct. Which is a very hard lesson. Yes. <laughs> and and yes, I bet all three of us can think of a recent boundary we had to set and it was not comfortable. Mm-mm. Correct. Mm-mm. Yeah. Being, being, uncomfortable being comfortable in the uncomfortable uncomfortable i don't know yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so priscilla we like to end every episode with a what we call a take action tip 
Um, so do you have, after people are listening to this episode, if they, you know, hang up at the very, very end when the music is playing because they listen to all this goodness. After we get done here, um, what's, what's one thing that a parent could do after listening to this episode today? Like a tangible to-do item. Really listen the next time your child is pushing the boundary. Really listen for what might be underneath it. Mm. That's a good one. That's a good I like one. That. That's part, yeah. I probably will have my opportunity to do that in like two minus two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh my gosh. And um, also at the end of all of our our podcasts, Priscilla, we like to let folks that are listening know how they can find you, find out more information about uh, the Council for Relationships or any resources or anything else you would like to share in case they would like to do some more homework and follow up on this. I think the best thing is to go to the Council for Relationships website, which is pretty simple, uh, councilforrelationships.org, so .org, and it's council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, for relationships, plural, all lowercase, .org, and you'll just see all the things that are available, therapists, uh, different offices, and all of our services. Great. Thank you so much. I, it's incredibly helpful. Thank I you. loved this conversation. Yeah, so did I. Because it really, so it, and it just really is the thing where, can you just imagine, like, if you had a kid that you taught to, like, have their values and be able to set boundaries with other people and how those feelings of, like, self-worth and self-esteem and things, yes, how that, it really is all connected. And so how that really does empower kids to feel like, they can move forward, you know, and just be able to be confident in their choices and be yeah. able to yeah. make healthy you know, choices. that line, and I don't know for sure who, ha- if it's a Maya Angelou, I don't know, but we teach people how to treat us. Yep. Oh, yes, there it is. That's yep. perfect. Yep. That's perfect. a great one. Yep. I love it. Priscilla, thank you for being with us today. Fun. This was fun. Yeah. This is a great yeah. conversation. Stay in touch. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yeah. So thank you everyone so much for joining us today. Um, you will find information and links to everything that we talked about in the show notes for this. Um, you can also follow me, Chrissy, on Instagram and Facebook, and that'll be linked up in the show notes as well. If you are liking our podcast, we would love it if you would share it on social media, share it with a friend, um, give a review on Apple Podcasts, all of those things help other parents find our show and and get more people listening which would be great so be sure to click follow or subscribe in the podcast app you are listening us to us in and we will be back in two weeks so thanks for joining us bye